Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Jesus, I believe that you are indeed laying it on people's hearts to say, here's how I can be a part of what you're doing, God. And whether that's saying, hey, I can bring in candy for the kids so that they gather together and celebrate as Pastor Ricky stands in front and tells the Easter story, or whether that's volunteering their hands into the nursery as they go and they they help with kids so that moms and dads can be in the sanctuary during this hour of worship, whether that's gathering together with close friends and, and, and reflecting on the word that was preached and and encouraging one another and holding one another accountable to step forward in their faith as inspired and directed through the scriptures. Whether that's coming and offering their gifts and song and worship and celebrating and reflecting on the goodness of God. God, I believe that, that worship on Sunday mornings is more than just coming and receiving. It is being prepared to respond to what you're doing. So the invitation is being made today, Lord God. I pray that each one of us would hear it in the word that is preached. God, we would be invited by you to respond, to say yes in some way, in a tangible way to take a next step in their relationship with you, to take a next step in, uh, in pursuing you, to say yes to the invitations you make. And as we do that, God, I pray that you would be ever-present. I pray over Pastor Crawford, God, I pray that you would fill him with your word and not his. I pray, God, anything that's of him, you would wash away right now, Lord God, and you would just allow the words that come forward to be exclusively your words for your people in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week, we began to hear about how God established his church and what he did in order to do that. We've been talking about how we are to live our lives. As believers, we are to live our lives in community. And what does that look like? Yes, there's communities out there, and we're familiar with what it is to live in a community because Guess what? The city is made up of different communities. But within that community, we have believers that live there. So maybe we need to get an understanding of what it is to live in a biblical community. Is there a difference between living in an area in the city versus living as believers in the family of God? And so when we look at that, we have to understand that there are differences. And, and by living and understanding what it is to live in biblical, a biblical community, that should actually enhance and have an impact on what we do in our communities, city-wise. And so when we think about God, we actually have to think about that God, because he is relational, he is... He is acting in, within a community. Well, how do I know that? Well, you have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You have three persons who make up one God, but they are a community. Three people, three persons who are God make up a community. So now 
he expects us, being a part of who he is, to live in community. Isn't it interesting that when you look at uh, a football team, if we're going to take the Eagles and, and Doug Peterson, and we know that they, back in 2017, they won the Super Bowl. But this, yeah, that's a long time ago. I, I, but, but, <laughs> but here, here's the interesting thing. When they won that year, they had a team chemistry. The team chemistry was established because they spent time together and they crossed over in indivi their individual groups. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you actually look at how a football team works, if you've ever been to a practice, here's how it works. You go to a practice and it looks like it's, it's chaotic, it's somewhat. But it's not really chaotic because what's taking place is a dynamic where they are broken up into groups. And so you have the running backs in one area, you have the quarterbacks in another area, you have the defensive line and the offensive line in, in areas, and, and then you have the wide receivers. So you, they're all spread out and they're doing individual things. And they're working with individual coaches who specialize in that particular area that they are practicing in. So in other words, you have the, the offensive coach, offensive lineman coach, what does he do? He shows the offensive line various techniques to help them get better which, so that when they're in a real game, they can use those techniques that be up on their opponent so that they can best open up the line. The running back, running back who's learning his techniques and, and, then, and so on and so on, the wide receivers. And so all of them are broken up into groups but those groups are somewhat small communities. And so they might go to dinner and, and they might do some fun things together as that particular group. But in order for team chemistry to occur, they have to come together outside of their individual groups where they can be part of the collective group and cross over. Well, when they do that, they establish a team chemistry. And that's kind of what the problem is with the Sixers right now. Oh. They don't have a team chemistry. I mean, you, you have Embiid in there and how he can't play with the other person who's supposed to be really good. And, and we know that they, they operate as a team, but are they really? See, when you don't operate as a team, then there's going to be a problem. Well, well, when we look in the scripture, we're able to see that, that this concept of community is there. And, and who actually brings it about? Well, last week, we, we kind of heard about it, didn't we? We heard about how Jesus walked and he lived with the disciples. The disciples, he chose. He personally chose them to be a part of his small group. And what did he do within that small group? Here's Jesus, who is God. Here's Jesus, who is the coach. He is the master coach. He is the creator. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who knows everything about everything. Here he is taking a group of men, and he's imparting and investing in them 
for them to do something that they could not do without him imparting it. And so what do we see? We, we see that Jesus has a small group. Well, isn't it interesting that when we look at the scripture, we're able to see that there's, there's a mechanism within this area of scripture where we see kind of like networking take place. And, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but, but let me talk about this now. You're familiar with some of the networking um, businesses that are out there, and I'm going to name them for you. Some of you who are old like I am, you probably remember Amway. You know, Amway products, you used to probably well, well, it was a networking type of business, which meant that you could be an entrepreneur. If you were willing to work and put in long hours, then what you would do is you would gather up a team of people who would work with you and you would train them and, and then they would in turn train other people. And the more people you had in your network, the more money you made. Well, we see some other businesses like that, don't we? Mary Kay, Avon, Primerica. See, the reality is that people want to be entrepreneurs, and they don't want to work the regular nine to five. They want to establish their own businesses. And the way that they do that, a lot of times, is through networking businesses or a business model, multi-level models, multi-level marketing models, and, and, and direct selling businesses. That's how they do it. And so where did it come from? It came from the scripture. What? Yeah. It came from the Bible. Actually, it comes from Acts. We can see it, and we can see the design of it in Acts chapter 2. But before I get to Acts chapter 2, let me make this point about, about this. The reality is, is that when we see Jesus, Jesus is bringing about principles of the kingdom that there's no way the disciples could have received it unless they actually came from God. And, and so Jesus, who is God, gives them these principles to work with. And so he establishes a small group, and then Jesus has to leave. Well, when Jesus leaves, what does he do? These 12 men. They now become the leaders, and they begin to be the ones who did what Jesus did because Jesus had invested in them they needed. And so when we turn to Acts chapter 1, actually, in verse 8, this is what it says. It, it says that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's two things that we see in there. What are they? We see that the disciples are going to receive power, which, which indicates to me that they don't really have the power that they need to get ready to do what Jesus wanted them to do. So God's going to have to give them his power. And then what do we see? Power to do what? Power to become witnesses. Well, witnesses for what? Because God had a mission. God had a design. God had a vision. See, God had to put into place something that was going to change what had happened way back in Genesis. And how was he going to do that? He was going to use us part of bringing back in, and bring into reconciliation all those who needed to be reconciled back to him. 
And so he wanted us to be participants in that. Now, guess what? All, you have to, all I have to do is see you out here today. And anybody who's a believer, as a result of what took place in Acts, that's how we got here. It was through networking. That's what happened. And, and so they received power to be witnesses. And, and what happened? Well, let's read Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says. Beginning with verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, look, look at this text. It's power-packed, really, with what the church's mission is. And we see a result of what was taking place. We see the power of God being activated through a man named Peter. Now, you know who Peter was. You know, the same guy who denied Jesus. The same man who, who said, I don't know him? Well, Je well, Jesus came to Peter and restored him. And how did he restore him? Because he was done. He, he had left. He had messed up. He thought it was over. But Jesus, is Jesus pursues Peter, and he lets him know. He says, Peter, I still want to use you. You're still good. But I have three questions for you. Do you love me? And then he asked him again, do you love me? Do you love me? Then on the third question, he said, I want you to feed my sheep. Well, what did he mean by that? I want, what I imparted in you, Peter, I want you to do what I gave you. And what does Peter do? After he receives the Holy Spirit, Peter is the man. Peter is the one who gets out in the front he, he takes over. He's kind of like the head apostle, and he begins to preach, and he preaches the word, notice, with power. And, and because of what God is doing through the preached word, look at what it says in verse 41. It said that they received the word. They received the word. So I look at that. I'm like, well, is there a difference between believing and receiving? Because there's a lot of people that believe, but have they really received? And how do I know that there must be some kind of difference or some kind of nuance? Because the, the lets us know that even the demons believe. The demons were there with Jesus. They, the demons, what are they? Demons are fallen angels. The angels were created by Jesus, so they know Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They know he exists. They, they experienced him. So now, what about receiving? The demons don't receive Jesus as Savior. Demons 
won't be saved. We can be saved when we receive the word. And, and receiving means to, to take it in. To, to take it in. And what that means is when you look at your house, you live in a dwelling. When you go home, it's yours, isn't it? Well, that's, that's what Jesus wants. He wants to invite him in the dwelling so that he can live there permanently. Receiving him. And, and by virtue of them receiving him, look what happened. 3,000? 3,000 people get saved at one time. Can you imagine that? The only thing I can imagine when I, when I think about that is Billy Graham. When Billy Graham preached, there were hundreds of people that came up. And Billy Graham was an evangelist, and, and he would go all over the world preaching the, word, the gospel, and he would go in the stadiums, and, and, and people would flock up. Now, here's the question I have. Did they actually receive, or did they just believe? We don't know. Only God knows. But receiving the word produces change. And so when we look at the next verse in verse 42, notice what happened. It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's four elements there. The, the apostles' teaching. Now, it's important to understand that because what we see is common purpose. We see that everybody, we, those who received the word, they now had a change of mindset where they all were thinking with the common purpose in mind. That's, this was the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the church. And so what we see here from this first century church, that, we're, that they had a set of beliefs they had, a set, they had practices that they would put into practice, and, and what would it do? It would begin to lay a foundation because of Jesus. Jesus was going to produce a different mindset. Jesus was going to give them a different way of living. Jesus had given them a different way of living. So there was going to be a change of lifestyle. There would be, it would be shown through their generosity. They, they would be shown through the fellowship. It, and they did it with glad, sincere hearts. And it produced or it multiplied. They were replicated. People were being saved by virtue of what they saw and what they experienced through the disciples. And, and mind you, at this time now, so you have 3,120. Because remember, there were 120 in the room when the Holy Spirit came down. That's when they received power. And so there had to be some kind of an experience so they, that they would recognize the Holy Spirit was now there, but that the Holy Spirit would dwell within them, and it would also let them know that Jesus had reached his destination. And so when we see that picture, and, and it's, it's, the, it's Pentecost, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and the experiences that are taking place, it's like, wow, this is great. I'm a part of this. But wait a minute. Notice the text isn't pointing out that as being the most important thing. It says that they devoted themselves to the word. See, here's the thing. A spiritual church is a church that's in the word. 
That should be the first thing. See, that's the mark of a spiritual church. A spiritual church is the basic trait is one that is actually focused on teaching. Another, it's the definition. The definition of the church is a people or a body of people who have received the word. It's the word that changes them. It's the word that brings them into a new dimension. The word that brings them and ushers them in through to a new kingdom through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that work. And so he brings us into this new dimension where there's new principles of living. That's why you become a believer, your life change. That's why it can be different. That's why God can take someone who's addicted on drugs and he can turn him into a preacher. That's why he can take an alcoholic and he can turn them into a great elder in the church. See, it doesn't matter how low you are when Jesus He's able to change you and make you like him. It's a learning church. A learning church. And they, it was the apostles' teaching. It wasn't nobody else's teaching. Well, why the focus on the apostles' teaching? The focus being on the apostles' teaching is because Jesus was the one who taught them. They received direct information from God himself. And so in order for that information to be transferred, they the ones who knew it. And here's what Jesus had told them. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will bring everything back to your remembrance. And we are able to see that when we see the New Testament. The New Testament comes teaching. And so we have it. And the same word that changed their lives, those 3,000 people, is the same word that changes ours. It's a learning church. And so the spirit-filled church is always going to be a Bible-studying church. And then what's the next thing? We see that, well, Christian fellowship. That's what it says, right? It says fellowship. Well, what does that really mean? That means common participation in God. That's what it means. So it's not just getting together, eating over dinner. I mean, that's great. I mean, I love to go to a restaurant. Any, anybody want to go out to eat? That's fine. I, I'm all for it. Let's go. You know, let, let, let's go. We can fellowship. But it's more than just that. Notice the definition. It, it's participation in God. See, that further. That what, what's happening in God, that means Wait a minute, we are participating in God. We are growing in him. We are learning about him. We are experiencing him together as a group. And how does that happen? It happens the same way as it did with the disciples with Jesus. See, that kind of dynamic happens in a small group experience, in community, in small communities. And and so what we see here is that Christian fellowship It takes place right here, yes, in a large, big place, and and most likely where it occurred, where these 3,000 people could could fit, it was a common inside the temple known called the Court of the Gentiles. That's probably where all these people were. But then it lets us know that 
that they actually went into people's homes. That's what the churches consisted of back then. So they were actually having home churches, which means they were fellowshipping together. And, and, and so this Christian fellowship that we see, it's interesting because the next thing we see is that they were very generous, that they started selling their possessions. Nobody asked them to do it. They did it on their own. Wait a minute. You mean they, they got saved, they received the word, and then there was action attached to it. Whoa. They received the word and then they did something. Why? Because it changed them. It changed, it changed their purview. It changed their mindset. And see, that's how we get healed, y'all. That's how we get healed. We get healed because of a change of mindset. See, when people are locked into a certain mindset, they get stuck. And so here's Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the word. The word comes with power. And so if we allow the word of God to, to penetrate our minds, what will happen is it will literally change our minds. Because it sets us free from what we are in bondage to. And people get in bondage to stuff in their past. And they get in bondage to stuff that happened to them. And they won't let things go. And so they, they hold on to unforgiveness and they hold on to bitterness and they hold on to malice and they hold on to all that stuff that keeps them bogged down. And so the word, if you allow it to, believe it and receive it and then it causes a change of mindset. And when that begins to happen, you get involved in a community that's around the word and that are walking and living together. And what begins to happen? You begin to grow. And then God begins to do some things in your life that are very powerful. Listen, if people would get in small groups, they would need counselors. I'm going to be. If you listen, I don't you don't have to come to me. I don't want a matter of fact to be easier because I wouldn't have to be doing it. <laughs> See, the fact is the word is able to change you. The word is able to heal us. The word is able to do whatever we need it to do. But we have to receive it and allow it to work in our lives. That's we have to be open to what God has already given us. We don't need nothing new. Fellowship. Now, I want you to know this. A lot of people sometimes get, look into scripture and they see what takes place here and they say, well, this is communism. No, this isn't communism. You know what communism is? See, communism take away your freedom. See, what communism does, see, here's what it is. Communism is a sharing of goods but it's an enforced sharing on the basis that no one has the right to own anything. See, with communism, nobody, they don't want you to own nothing. But everything is shared. So everybody's equal. It's not capitalism. See, capitalism is freedom. And, and so it's not, it, it, that we don't, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not communism. But guess what? It's not something else either. And, and what is that? Socialism. Well, what's socialism? Because that's the big thing right now that's, you know, going on. Socialism, you know, we want everything free. 
Well, that's not what was taking place. See, the difference between communism and socialism is that socialism acknowledges the right of private property, but it compels individuals to give a percentage of or everything above a certain figure. That's what socialism is. See, it it forces you to give a percentage of what you have. So to be quite honest with you, we're actually already in a socialist system. We already live in one. Because we are forced to pay a certain percentage of something. Because somebody else has made that decision. We didn't make it freely. But that's that's not coming from this text. And so what we see in this text is that people received the word, and what happened? They gave generously because they wanted to. They had the freedom of choice. Nobody was making them do it. That's why when you look in, what, Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira? The problem is, is that they agreed to give a certain amount, and then they didn't do it. And that's why they got smoked. Right? That, that, that's what happened. They died. They both died. And who, who, who actually did it? God himself. Nobody killed them because they lied to the Holy Spirit. That's what the text lets us know. And, and, so, and, and so, no, it's, it's, it's a generosity that comes freely. It's not forced. It's not communism. It's not socialism. But it's the freely giving generously. That's what we see in this text. And and so then what do we see? We see it's a worshiping church. It's a worshiping church. It lets us know that there was the breaking of bread. Talking about the communion table. That's what it really means. But it's talking about worshiping together. And they would worship together in this kind of setting where we come on a Sunday and we would have communion. But then it says that they would go into their homes and they would have communion in their homes as a group, in small groups. So one was formal and one was informal. And it said that they did this every day. Wow. Can you imagine that? Every day. Now, we have families, right? We see our family every day, right? What would it be like to actually see everybody in here every single day? Y'all probably get tired of that, wouldn't you? (laughs) But that's what was taking place. It was like this big, huge family. It's called the family of God. And and they were meeting each other's needs. And so when we actually see what's being done here, it all started with Jesus with his small group of 12 men. And now it's starting to get bigger. But when you get bigger, you still got to break down into small groups. And so that's why we implement these these groups here. That's why we have available to everyone here to to, to get into a small group. Because in that group, things can happen. In that group, you can begin to change. In that group, you can learn about yourself. In that group, you can help help someone else. In that group, you can can be generous and, and you can grow in your faith. That's what small groups do. Maybe you're lonely and you don't have nowhere to go. Well, find a small group because that's where some people are at. 
That's practicing and believing what God intended for us to do. And he shows us through this text in Acts. It was a worshiping church. And so we all need to worship together, whether it's here on Sunday or whether it's in a small group. Both are okay. There's one more area. It says witnessing and evangelism. We see here that what began to happen? That when they, they opened up their mouth, didn't they? They opened up their mouth. They were telling people. See, when you experience, when you truly experience Jesus and he changed you, you can't help but to say something. That's right. That's right. You can't help but to say something because it's, it was that powerful in your life that nobody could help you. And then Jesus showed up and, and Jesus came into your life and he made a difference. And, and the Holy Spirit actually did something and you saw it and people saw it. And, and now God said, you know what? If you continue in that direction, continue to grow, continue to learn about me, continue to put into practices, put into practice those things that I'm giving you through the word, you're going to see some greater things than that. We are able to experience some great things if we let go and let God. Witnesses. Is it in Acts 1-8? He's talking to us. Anybody that's saved, we have the power to be for God. And we're able to do that not only in a setting that's, that's, I'm not trying to be in a big setting, but guess what? Let's start where we're at. Let's start with a little, a small setting and be used, be willing to be used like that in a small setting because that's what God desires. A witnessing church, an evangelizing church. See, there's a sense in which both God and we do the work. God works through us. Not only was God saving people, but he was adding to the church. He wasn't just doing that. It wasn't just the pastor. It wasn't Pastor Peter. It wasn't just the apostles. It was, very, it was everybody in the church. Now, now, now watch this. If everyone here would just be willing to talk to one person about Jesus, I would probably say that one, at least one person out of everybody here would talk to him. Somebody would come to know the Lord. But we have to be willing to do it. All of you have a story, and it's part of history. It's part of his story. That's why we're here. We fit into his story. And when we fit into his story, we will become part of history. Because we're going to have an impact on it. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. There's a, a theologian who is no longer with us. His name, is, his name was John Stott. And this is what he wrote, and I'm going to read it to you. He says this about community and this particular uh, chapter in Acts, these verses. It says, looking back over these marks of the first spirit-filled community, it is evident that they all concerned the church's relationships. First, they were related to the apostles in submission. They were eager to receive the apostles' instruction. A spirit-filled church is an apostolic church, a New Testament church, anxious to believe and obey what Jesus and his apostles taught. Second, they were related to each other in love. They persevered in the fellowship supporting each other and relieving the needs of the poor. 
A spirit-filled church is a loving, caring, sharing church. Third, they were related to God in worship. They worshiped him in the temple and in the home, in the Lord's Supper, and in prayers with joy and with reverence. A spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. Fourthly, they were related to the world in outreach. They were engaged in continuous evangelism. No self-centered, self-contained church absorbed in its own parochial affairs can claim to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. So a spirit-filled church is a missionary church. Church, that's what we want to be. We want to be that church that leaves an impact on people and a church that God can use to change lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask, Lord, that we will continue to desire and hunger for it. Lord, we ask that you will move by your spirit. Lord, our challenge today is that we will see the need to be involved in a small community, knowing that it can have a major impact in our lives. Father, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.